Good morning. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's begin our time of worship this morning. Here from Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, you who serve Him. You who serve in the house of the Lord, stand up. In the courts of the house of our God, I know the greatness of the Lord, that our Lord is greater than any other God. So praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Celebrate His lovely name with music. Let's do that this morning. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging seas. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who hears. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise.
seated. Let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that there's joy in your house this morning. And it's because of who you are. It's because of what you've done for us to give us salvation. Lord, we thank you for your love for us and your watch care over our lives. And that brings joy to us. And Lord, we thank you for your word and Father, how it speaks to us and ministers to us and teaches us about who you are. God, it is an incredible gift. And for that this morning, God, we are joyful. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of music that we can communicate to you through song how good and how great you are. And Father, we proclaim that this morning, not just from our lips, but from our heart. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, God, that we can be in this place this morning to, to learn more about you. And God, I pray that that would spur us on to, to, to love you more and to serve one another and you better. God, we pray that everything that is done and said in this place this morning will seek to bring you honor and glory because you're the only one that's worthy of praise. So, Lord, just take control of this service. I pray, God, that, uh, that it brings us closer together as a, as a body of believers to do what it is that you've called us to do in this community and throughout our world. Uh, but, God, we just pray that most of all the name of Jesus is exalted because we know, Father, when that happens, that you draw all people unto yourself. And we thank you and praise you for it. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see each of you here this morning for our, our worship services. Uh, well, one worship service, uh, just one. Uh, so uh, you didn't miss anything. Um, glad you guys are here this morning, especially if you are visiting with us. We invite you to take a care card that's uh, in the pew back in front of you and just fill that information out. We'd love to have a recollection of your visit. And then you can give that to one of our, our staff, Pastor Scott, myself, or JT. Or you can put it in the giving boxes that are in the foyer of our sanctuary. Uh, on the flip side is a place for anybody to fill out a prayer request. So if you have a prayer need for anybody, um, please, we would like to know about that so we can be praying for you as a church staff. But welcome. We are super glad and excited that you are here this morning. Um, I will say that uh, we are just a little bit slim maybe a little slimmer this morning than normal. We have uh, quite a few families away on a retreat this weekend at Teen Valley Ranch. So it was a family retreat. And so a lot of our families or some of our families are there. So let's be praying for them as they make their way back this afternoon. Um, but uh, that's why we might be just a little slim this morning. Um, let me just, uh, just a friendly reminder, if you would, uh, as a way of a favor, take your phones out. And, and just go ahead and silence those, turn them off, so that there's no distractions right in the middle of a point of the pastor's message. So, um, so, and don't set an alarm on your phone telling him that he's done. Okay, don't do that. <laughs> that that he just said that would just keep him going. So make sure you turn those off. Okay. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, if you would do that, that that would be great. Um, couple of announcements for you this morning. Um, Sewing Hands Ministry, don't forget that you'll be meeting this Saturday, 9.30 to 1 o'clock. 
Um, and if you want more information uh, about that sewing hands ministry, please uh, see Carla Setzer. Um, the prayer shawl ministry uh, will be meeting this Tuesday, March 21st at 630 in the core. So lots of ways that uh, you ladies can serve there. Um, coming up on April the 1st is our Golf for Missions golf tournament. All the proceeds from this uh, go to support our youth missions efforts. Uh, as most of you know, uh, in just a few short weeks, our youth mission team will be heading to Malawi. We're really excited about getting back there. We've not been able to go back since COVID and everything. So this is our first year back since, uh, since 2018. So our team's working really hard at preparing, getting ready to go. Appreciate your prayers there, but also uh, your support as well. One way that you can support is uh, either sponsor a hole uh, for this golf tournament, which is $100, or you can play, and it's $60. Uh, it's April 1st. We have a shotgun start at 1 o'clock, have lunch beforehand, and uh, so it's going to be a great day. But thank you for all the many ways that you support our youth mission team. Um, our mission teams also, we have several different mission teams uh, in action this summer. Um, made a t-shirt um, and um, they're taking orders for those. There's a short sleeve shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and a hoodie. Um, and then there are prices and uh, for different ones uh, of, of those. If you are interested in getting one of those, see Garrett Inslee. She can get your order for you. Um, but that's just another way that you can support uh, our missions. Uh, on, on, on a more national level, we have coming up our Annie Armstrong offering. Uh, that we'll start collecting for April the 2nd, Palm Sunday. Um, and our goal this year is $70,000. Uh, you guys always knock it out of the park uh, with these goals, and uh, we're so grateful for that. Um, but 100% of the Annie Armstrong, Annie Armstrong offering goes towards our North American missionaries. So uh, be praying about what you would uh, give for that, and uh, we'll start collecting on April the 2nd for that. Easter week is going to be a big week here at the church. We do not have services on April the 5th, that Wednesday night, because we have the Monday Thursday service the following, that following day. So the Monday Thursday service in here that evening, and then on Easter morning we'll have a sunrise service at 7 o'clock with a breakfast to follow, and then we'll have our regular community groups and uh, one service here in the sanctuary. So lots of stuff to pay attention to. Um, ever so often, we want to keep you guys updated as to what we're doing in missions locally and, and globally and here in, inside the United States. And so we're going to have what we call a missions moment. And um, this morning, Janet Blanford is going to come and share with you our missions moment uh, for this time period. So Janet, won't you come and share with us? Good morning, church. Welcome to our first mission moment. I'm so excited that your mission committee decided to do something like this to get you all involved in what we're doing on Mission from Pitts, because as Kevin said, we're doing a lot. And we want to make sure that you feel like you know what's going on, where we're going, what we're doing, and who we're taking with us. So first up is going to be the First Baptist Church in Anchorage. We actually went there on two different trips last summer, took two teams and helping them with their revitalization efforts at First Baptist. I'm so excited we're going back this summer, taking a larger team of 18. I'll be counting all week, counting heads, making sure I'm getting everybody back here safe. But we're really excited to be going back there uh, this year. I want to uh, tell you more about that in a minute. 
What you're looking at now are pictures from last year, the two trips that we took last year. Uh, before I get into talking too much about Anchorage, I want to first see, I'm so funny that Kevin brought up your cell phone. So does a, a raise of hands, who in here owns a cell phone? I'm, that's everybody in the room except my husband, James, who will be the last man standing on this earth without a cell phone. But if you have a cell phone, I'm curious how many of you are on Facebook? Now be proud, you're on Facebook, it's okay to tell people you're on Facebook. You know, things aren't really real unless it's on Facebook, so they say. So I want you to make sure that you're on Facebook. If you are, are you following the Pitts Baptist Church Facebook page? Over 700 people follow that page. That should be a lot more of you that are following it. And I hope you will, because there's some content posted there from time to time that you'll want to see. But I'm more curious this morning about who is following the Pitts Baptist Missions page. Raise your hands high. There's only about 170 people across the whole place. We need more of you following that particular page. We are being very intentional this year about po post posting information about the upcoming mission trips. We want you to be more involved. And so if you're on Facebook and you're not already following it, go to Facebook, click on that little magnifier, and put in uh, Pitts Baptist Church Missions. Different from the women's ministry, different from the basic Pitts Baptist page, totally different. Like it and follow it so that we will know who's paying attention to what we're posting. That'll be a real encouragement to us because we are being very intentional. If you went now to look at that page, you would see we've already been posting the team pictures of the teams that are going to be traveling this summer. There are a lot of people traveling this summer. Starting this next week, we're going to also be posting individual headshots of the people traveling, and we're going to be telling you a little bit of something about those people. So many of them you may know and may think you know well, but we may tell you something on that Facebook post that you did not know about your friend. So you're only going to see it if you're following it on Facebook at the Pitts Baptist Church missions page. Uh, so yeah, well, there's already a lot of stuff there and more stuff coming, but more excitedly is that while we're on mission, we are going to be very deliberate to post every day what we're doing, what we're seeing, and what is happening out there on the mission field. And you'll be able to follow us almost in real time. It'll be the next best thing to be in there. So you'll want to look at that every day while we're gone so that you can continue to pray for us and then know what we're doing. Now, I think it's going to be fun for you. You'll be able to sit back in your lazy boy at home to see what we're doing on mission. But I hope that puts a fire in your belly. And you'll say, next year, I don't want to be sitting in my lazy boy. I want to be on mission. This year, we're taking adults that range in age from 19 to 83. And there's a place for every one of them. And there would be a place for you, too. So I hope you'll prayerfully consider joining us this time next year. Meanwhile, follow this page. You're going to see the last few slides that I'm going to have here are actual pictures that were taken last year in Alaska. It is truly one of the most beautiful places you will ever see with a very dark side. About 90% of the people in Alaska are unchurched. First Baptist Church in Anchorage almost fell away to about 20 members, but they're growing back again and we're a part of that. We are helping them to revitalize and clean up and spruce up. You know the work days that we have here where we all pitch in? They just don't have the manpower to do that. So we're doing that for them so that when we're gone, they can bring people in to enjoy all the things that we're helping them fix their church up. So we're really looking forward to seeing them again. I'll come back at the end of the summer to share more pictures and video with you of what we actually accomplished this year. So uh, you're going to hear about Saldotna. You're going to hear about Paris. So I'm just so excited that the church is making a concerted effort to make sure that you are up to speed on what is happening in missions. Thank you.
Amen. Hopefully you'll get involved with our mission teams. Would you stand as we continue in worship together? Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. For change to come, knowing the battles won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. This is my confidence, you never failed me yet. I know the night won't last, your word will come to will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. my confidence you never fail your promise still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you never
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never2020 was, it was, um, it was a time that you can't forget. It was 
in the midst of the pandemic, and then George Floyd died. And we're in the Twin Cities, so it was like right here. We were meeting at the park, and so we, we would do these services, preach the gospel and serve our neighbors and, and give a picture of hope and unity where the gospel tears down these walls that separate us. Because there is a true melting pot in the Twin Cities. You have all these different languages and people groups within just even five, 10 miles. And so we planted the church and the church is called All People's Church. And All People's doesn't mean just ethnically, but it means generationally, it means socially. That was the heart of it. And being in the Twin Cities, being such a melting pot, it felt to me like that would be one of the most powerful apologetics to the world. The hardest thing is probably how slow life transformation takes. And so when people give, they give us church planters something that we really need, and that's time. Because life change is slow, especially if you're trying to um, plant a church where no foundation is laid, as Paul says in the end of Romans. It's slow work, and yet there is no shortage of people who've joined our church and they're, they're, they're growing in their faith for the first time. And, and that's what's been going on. Someone encounters Jesus and then they go tell people, you know, come and see. And so after doing that for a handful of years in the Twin Cities, the, the world can look and see and say, wow, Jesus is real. And I just, I love that. Two weeks, we'll be collecting our Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for North American Missions. And uh, you folks have been so generous uh, in your uh, mission giving to both Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. You know, it's been very encouraging to me as our giving as a church has gone up uh, concerning missions, so has our going. And think about all the young people serving today on mission fields. I think of Katie, uh, Katie Cloys and Brandon Brooks, one in uh, Central Asia, the other in Southeast Asia. I think of Jessica Kimes uh, serving in uh, Spain. Uh, Matt Tucker is working on his seminary degree. I've got a reference now to do uh, another uh, uh, student who's going to Southeastern College and Seminary, uh, Connor Malone. Uh, there's countless interns here and at Snowbird. Uh, there's trips to Alaska, New York City, Malawi, Paris. It's just been so encouraging to see uh, all of the involvement in the church as our giving has also gone up. I think the two are connected, don't you? And so just keep in mind, in two weeks, you'll have that opportunity uh, to give to Annie Armstrong. Uh, and this is a North American uh, emphasis, uh, not like Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon goes to international mission fields. Uh, the Annie Armstrong uh, offering helps uh, reach our own continent here in North America. Uh, as you find Mark chapter 10 in your copy of the scripture, I know I said something in the Friday email. I said something last week as well. Let me just say once again how deeply I appreciate you uh, as a church family, your love for me uh, and my family and the way you showed it last week. It's deeply 
appreciated. A church family like you uh, certainly makes the ministry uh, a joy and a delight. So thank you for your uh, generosity last week, what you did for Connie and I, uh, for Connie and me. And uh, we're deeply grateful uh, for you and uh, your partnership with us. As Kurt preached last week, our, our partnership together uh, in the gospel. And you have displayed that in so many ways. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. If you're a guest of ours this morning, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. Uh, we're up to Mark chapter 10, beginning there in verse 46. And I'm preaching on the topic this morning, Jesus cares for even one. And aren't you glad of that? Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, please? Mark chapter 10, and we'll pick up reading in verse 46, and we'll read down through the close of the chapter. It says, and they came to Jericho. That would be Jesus and his disciples, of course. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The late Dr. Bailey Smith writes of an incident involving a ministerial student friend of his when they were both in college. Coming back to school one evening, his friend was driving a little VW. And the VW was struck head-on on a bridge by a pickup truck. The steering wheel and the steering column of the VW had his friend pinned into the car. The other boy in the car ran onto the road, flagged down a lady in her luxury automobile. He told her the problem and begged her to call for help. Now this would have been probably in the 1950s uh, when flagging down somebody on a road wouldn't be perceived as a possible ambush. But the lady simply pressed the button on her window and she screamed out, I don't want to get involved. And she sped off. The young man in the VW who would perhaps be preaching the gospel today, he died because no help got to him 
in time. Here's one more. In more recent years, 11 men stood in New York City watching a woman in a public place being raped. And no one intervened to help. When later questioned by the news media as to why they did not get involved and did not help, their response was simply, hey, we didn't know the woman. What was it to us? Folks, aren't you glad that Jesus stopped to help even one? Look at this case here in Mark chapter 10. This is the last healing in the Gospel of Mark, this particular section of Mark that began back in chapter 8, it's interesting, it began with a healing miracle and it ends with a healing miracle. And both miracles, the first and the last one, have to do with healing somebody who is blind, physically blind. And I don't think that this is an accident. Jesus opens blind eyes, not just physically, but also spiritually. And I'm sure you're glad he opened your eyes. And scholars pretty well agree that's the point in these miracles and their placement. Mark wants us to see that Jesus is the one who can give sight to the blind, but more importantly, he can give spiritual sight to the spiritually blind. Just as he opened the eyes of the blind, he has had to open the eyes of his disciples from time to time as well. For instance, just previous to this, you'll recall how Jesus was on his way to Capernaum with his disciples. He's walking on up ahead of them and they have the audacity to be arguing about who is the greatest among them. And Jesus sits them down inside the house and he opens their eyes and gets them to see that the one who is truly great is the one who is willing to be the last of all and the servant of all. He had to repeatedly open the blind eyes, figuratively speaking, of the disciples. And we know that oftentimes our eyes need to be opened as well. And what we see here in this episode is, is, is that one who can give physical sight is also the one who can give spiritual sight. He can open blind eyes in more than one way. Now I want you to see with me first of all this morning a man living in desperation who represents us all in a sense. Look again at verse 46 and following. They came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Folks, I want you to imagine Bartimaeus' life. He has spent his life in darkness. 
He gets up probably every day and finds a public spot where there will be a lot of foot traffic and he takes a seat there probably on a little pad and and has some type of bowl or a cup and he is begging so he can even have food to sustain himself that day. You need to remember back in ancient times they didn't have the social security networks that we have today that take care of of disabled people. And so if you were disabled, if you didn't have family who was able or willing to look after you, you would be reduced to begging to even have your basic necessities in life met. And that's what we see Bartimaeus doing. And we're told here that Jericho was the location. Archaeologists tell us that Jericho may be the oldest continuously occupied city in the entire world. Jesus has come down the eastern side of the Jordan River. He has crossed over the Jordan and he's on his way up to Jerusalem. Now John's Gospel has Jesus making the trip to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover for three years, with the final trip being the one where the authorities turn on him and have him crucified. Matthew, Mark, and Luke concentrate mainly on this particular third and final trip of Jesus to Jerusalem. Now from Jericho, it would have been an uphill walk. You see, Jericho is 740 feet below sea level and Jerusalem is set several thousand feet above sea level. From Jericho to Jerusalem is a steep 3,500 foot climb upward all the way. Now Jericho was a little oasis, a green oasis out in the middle of the Judean wilderness. It was a beautiful city of palms and roses. Now I didn't think it was particularly all that beautiful now in modern times. To me it just didn't seem like it was very well kept. But in New Testament times it was supposedly a beautiful spot out in the middle of the desert. You may remember that even King Herod had a summer palace there that served as his summertime residence. There was a large population of priests who lived at Jericho. I want you to keep in mind with the daily sacrifice in the temple, morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, every single day, there were thousands of priests that served in Jerusalem and they served in shifts. And after they completed their time of service at the temple, many of the priests had a home down in Jericho. It was about a day's walk and they would walk to their home there in Jericho. It was a warm, friendly climate for them. Jericho was also a bustling little town. And so I want you to imagine Bartimaeus' hope, his glimmer of hope. He hears all the commotion that's going on. 
The streets to him seem much more crowded than they normally would be. And he can tell there's, there's electricity in there. There's excitement in the air. And no doubt he begins questioning what's going on around him. And he learns that Jesus is passing through the town. Now for Bartimaeus, I imagine this would seem like a dream come true. You know, the Bible says, folks, that we need to redeem the time. We need to seize opportunities for the Lord that that he gives us. Bartimaeus is quick to think, here's his chance. He's lived his whole life in darkness after all. Here's his chance to finally see. He knows from all of the talk around Israel back then that that Jesus has already healed many others. He's done many mighty miracles. And so he's probably thinking perhaps he'll help me as well. And so he calls out to Jesus. and, And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's using a messianic title. Son of David. They knew from what the Old Testament scripture taught that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. To call Jesus son of David is a confession that Bartimaeus believes that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for. He's he's asking for mercy. And that implies that he knows that He doesn't have anything in and of himself to boast about. He's not demanding action. He's not acting as though Jesus uh, has to do something or that, that God owes him a favor. He's not expecting it to be his right. He knows it would be undeserved. He knows he he can't earn it. And I want you to notice that Bartimaeus had to be very persistent because the crowd wanted him to be quiet. And they were, they were vocal in their opposition towards him. They were vocal in trying to hinder him from calling out to Jesus. They want him to leave Jesus alone. Now folks, I want to mention something to you here. I've been told before in ministry, now now I've got to admit it hasn't happened very often. Probably only two or three times across about 35 years of ministry. And so I don't, I don't want you to believe in that I've, I've heard this a lot. But on occasion I've heard somebody say, you know preacher, for a while I knew that I needed to get right with God. But my parents... Or my wife or my husband said, Honey, you're a good person. You don't need to worry about anything. Why are you so worried about this? And they've told me I listened to my family until I could listen to them no longer because God was working on my heart. God was convicting me. And I knew even to the opposition of my family, I finally had to do something to get right with God. I've had people tell me. That people in the crowd, maybe the crowd being members of your own household, preventing you 
from getting to Jesus. Folks, if you're talking to somebody yourself and they feel like they need to get right with God, now I would encourage you to witness to them yourself. And if you don't know how, let us show you how. But if, but if uh, you don't know at the moment that this opportunity happens, put them in the car and drive them down here so somebody can talk to them about the Lord. Don't be like those who would hinder somebody from getting to Jesus. Now how easy it would have been for, for blind Bartimaeus to simply have listened to the crowd and given up and grown silent. After all, these are, these are the people that he's got to live around every day. These are the people that he's dependent on in his begging. He doesn't want to make them mad. If he makes them mad, they may not give to him anymore or something. And then what's he going to do? So maybe he just, maybe, you know, he could easily be thinking, I just need to quiet down. I need to be silent and not bother Jesus. But not Bartimaeus. He cries out in desperation. And I want you to notice the more they try to silence him, the louder he gets, the more persistent uh, he gets, the more persistent he, he becomes. Folks, how easily do we give up? Do we quit praying for somebody too soon? Do we quit witnessing to somebody too soon? Maybe we quit inviting them to church we just give up. But not Bartimaeus. He persisted. He was desperate. I want you to see secondly a Savior showing compassion. Look with me again verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said call him. And they called the blind man saying to him take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Jesus noticed him. Out of all the people around that day, Jesus noticed Bartimaeus. Now folks, there were no doubt men pushing and shoving, men wanting to see the one that everybody is, is talking about is the Messiah. They're trying to get to Jesus. They're trying to get a glimpse. Men are wanting to join him as he's going up to Jerusalem. You see, again, it's believed that as Jesus is passing through Jerusalem, he, uh, passing through Jericho, he's headed up to, to uh, Jerusalem to the Passover, and many in the crowd, no doubt, are wanting to use this occasion to join in with Jesus and his disciples and make that day journey up to Jerusalem. You see, people back then would oftentimes travel in caravans. It was safer that way to travel with a bunch of people. So no doubt a, a lot of these people are wanting to join in with Jesus and his disciples and go from Jericho to Jerusalem. And another thing about traveling in caravans on this particular road, it would have been safer because you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan where the guy is attacked and beaten and left for dead by robbers? 
Guess which road that was? It was the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was a dangerous road. Even though priests traveled it, they would have been left alone for the most part. But for others, it was a dangerous road, a steep road with sharp turns and ravines and cliffs and places for robbers and bandits to hide. And so it was safer to travel in a caravan. And I think a lot of people in this crowd, they're wanting to join in with Jesus and go up to to the Passover because everybody was supposed to make that journey to the Passover uh, every year. And this is a chance to join in. So a lot of people there, a lot of bustling activity, a lot of people trying to get to Jesus. And in the midst of all of this chaos, and in the midst of this crowd, Jesus notices Bartimaeus. Folks, don't ever think that Jesus doesn't notice desperation. He saw little Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree. You remember that? That little scoundrel of a man... There in Jericho also, he was a chief tax collector. And, and maybe, maybe on this trip, maybe it was a previous one, we're not told, but one of these trips through Jericho, uh, again, possibly this one, maybe close to this event here, Jesus has ministered to Zacchaeus as well. Jesus noticed him. Somebody like Zacchaeus, a man that nobody would have wanted anything to do with. Him being a tax collector. He was a traitor to his own people. But you know, Jesus noticed him. Jesus ministered to him. And Zacchaeus was saved. Remember the woman at the well in Samaria? Jesus said, I must go through Samaria, a region that no Jew wanted to go through. They didn't like the Samaritans. But Jesus went there. He ministered to a desperate lady at the well. He healed a child, Jairus' child. I've said before over the past couple of weeks, children were not given the time of day back at this time. Jesus healed a child. Jesus notices people that you and I might sometimes overlook. And Jesus especially notices people who are desperate. You know, I might be talking to somebody here this morning. You're brokenhearted. You're desperate in your life. There's some kind of need in your life. And you're wondering, does God really care about me? Does he see me? Yes, he does. He sees you. You may be just one in the crowd. But he knows you. And he loves you. And he sees your need. You need to come to him. Jesus had 20-20 vision when it came to spotting needs in the crowd. Jesus didn't seem to consider them a needless interruption or a bother. He reached out to them. On another occasion when he healed a blind man, he said, I'm the light of the world and as long as I'm in the world, I'm not going to allow people to walk in darkness. 
Folks, the question is, do you and I notice those in need? You know, the world is a loud and a bustling place. Do we notice those around us in need? Do we notice people around us at all anymore? Have we gotten to the point we're so busy in life we just go through our daily routines, we're going through what we've got to do in life and the world today is such a cold and hateful place? Do we just go through life and sort of with blinders on we ignore everybody around? Even if we see somebody in need and we determine it's probably a genuine need, do we even notice them? Do we care? Well, as disciples of Christ, we need to care. And we need to ask God to give us his eyes and his heart and his ears. And take time to stop and make a difference in somebody's life. Do you do that? Or do you just press on about your own business? You know, I'm so thankful in the scripture we have a Savior showing compassion. Because at some point in your life, in my life, we're going to need that. Third thing I want you to see. A sinner experiencing restoration and new life because of Jesus. Verse 50 says, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Notice how quickly the crowd changes their tune. They had been trying to silence Bartimaeus. But once Jesus expresses interest in him, the crowds turn to Bartimaeus and say, Quick, take courage, stand up. Jesus is calling for you. And you know what I imagine in that moment? Bartimaeus' heart must have skipped a beat. What? He's calling for me? Blind people tended to keep their cloak next to them. Because... In this area of the world, night times and early morning can be quite chilly. And it's so graphic the way Mark writes about it here. I mean, this cloak that would have been precious to him, one of his few belongings, he's sitting there with his, man, he just leaps up and he throws that cloak aside. Very graphic, artistic way of, of showing the urgency in Bartimaeus. And Jesus asked him bluntly, what do you want me to do for you? Seems rather obvious, but Jesus wants him to say. And that tells me that though God knows our needs, he wants us to say. He wants us to ask. Bartimaeus had to tell him what he wanted. And he was specific in that. He said, I want to see. I've run into people before who've said, you know, preacher, I can't bother God with my problems. He's got enough problems in the world to worry about. Listen, I want to say to you, he is sovereign God. He can take all of your problems, all of my problems, all the problems of everybody in here multiplied a million times over, and it's nothing for him to meet all those needs. He's sovereign God. And remember, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. 
What do you need? Have you told God about it? The Bible says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Have you told God about your needs? Jesus healed Bartimaeus. Notice Bartimaeus had to believe. He had to have faith. But it wasn't faith in faith. It was faith in Jesus. You see, the object of our faith has to be worthy of our faith. You may put your faith in a set of brakes with 100,000 miles on the car. And you're going to go down a steep mountain. The brakes fail you and you're in an accident. You put your faith in something that's not worthy of your faith. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is really, he's the only one who's worthy of our faith. Jesus never fails. Bartimaeus had faith in him. And Jesus healed him. Again, last healing miracle miracle that Mark records. And the phrase here says, he's made you well. Well, guess what the words also mean? He has saved you. The word here, sozo, for healed, means also to save. A double meaning. And I think that's on purpose. I think it's intentional. To show us that more has happened here to Bartimaeus than simply physical eyes being opened. His physical eyes are open, but he's now a saved man. And the fact that he follows Jesus implies that. It implies salvation and discipleship. He's now becoming a follower of Jesus. He had been just sitting there. Jesus healed him. He didn't just go back to staying the same in town or walking around. Now he is a follower of Jesus. He's encountered the Lord and it's changed him. By the way, early church tradition states as much. Church tradition says that this Bartimaeus became a leader in the early church. He followed Jesus. Folks, that's what's supposed to happen. When Jesus touches us, we don't leave by another way and depart. We follow Jesus wherever he is. Those who say they've been touched by Jesus but they don't follow him, they're certainly not following a biblical pattern. If you've been touched by Jesus and saved by him as a demonstration of that, you need to follow him. And of course that begins with making your faith in Christ public and joining up with a local body of believers where you follow the Lord by saving Him, where He has planted you. You live for Him. You tell others about Him. That's what it means to follow Him. And you're to live like it. Our faith is to be demonstrated in how we act. Works are never the root of our salvation, but they are to be the fruit of our salvation. And you know what? It is a great assurance of your salvation when you continue to follow Jesus and you live for Him and your life demonstrates that. It's a great assurance to you that your faith is real because your life is different. 
Let me give you some takeaway lessons this morning. Number one, an earnest plea for mercy directed to Jesus is always a prayer that is well placed. And an earnest plea for mercy directed to Jesus is always a prayer that is well placed. Folks, we have a Savior that is merciful. And if it wasn't for that, none of us would have any hope whatsoever. Secondly, beware of letting others hinder you from making your way to Jesus. Human voices will often discourage you as you seek the Lord. I want to say to you, if God is drawing you, He will not fail. Run to Him. Thirdly, be specific in your prayer life. What is it that you are asking of the Lord? You know, in your prayers, it's it's good to use a pattern oftentimes in your prayers. The word acts. A, standing for adoration, because we need to go before God and first just spend time adoring Him and worshiping Him. Secondly, the C, confession. Confession of your sin. Thirdly, T stands for thanksgiving. Thank Him for what He's done in your life. And then the S, supplication in your prayer time tell him tell him your needs adore him confess your sin give him thanks and tell him of your needs and be specific fourth in your mission and ministry be like Jesus take time for people never forget that people matter to God And maybe this morning, maybe you don't care for people the way you know you should as a follower of Christ. Again, ask Him to give you His eyes, His his ears, His heart. Ask Him for those things. You know, the Bible says that God's desire is to conform us to the image of Christ. If we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, we've got to care for people. Because Jesus cares for people. And then lastly, when Jesus touches you, follow him wherever he leads. Folks, that is the only appropriate response of somebody who claims to know Christ. Is that you follow him wherever he leads. And your life becomes that daily living sacrifice that Paul talks about in Romans 12.1. Follow him wherever he leads you. Father, we thank you for the story of Bartimaeus here. What an encouragement to each of us to know that here was somebody that the crowd in Jericho probably overlooked him every single day. I can picture a family walking past uh, Bartimaeus and the dad saying, there's that beggar again. Kids, look the other way. Move on. But Jesus noticed him as Bartimaeus was calling out to Christ. And he touched him and healed him. He saved him and gave him his, his physical sight as well. Lord, I pray that that would be an encouragement to somebody here today who thinks that they don't matter 
or that their need doesn't matter. And they're wondering if you would even take time to notice them. Lord, may Bartimaeus be an example to them of how much you care. And may they run to you. And Lord, help us to be like him. That when you saved him and touched him, he became a follower of yours. God, may we do the same. May we live lives that are changed and different. Lives with a new purpose and a new hope. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.